Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. We wanted to remind you to check out the Ringer's YouTube page. We're publishing new original videos all the time, including a new This Is Us parody called This Is Bus, featuring some of your favorite Ringer employees like Bill Simmons, Jason Concepcion, and Chris Ryan. And on Friday, we published a video breaking down the staff's favorite moments of 2018 in sports and pop culture, ranging from A Star is Born to the Philadelphia Flyers mascot, Gritty. These videos and more can be found at youtube.com slash The Ringer. Yo, 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 yo! Or should I say ho, 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 ho? Or should I say bye-bye, Mourinho? All three apply to this very special holiday edition of Ringer FC. This is Donnie Kwok, East Coast Bureau Chief of the Ringer. I'm here with my main man. Christmas came early for him. Manchester United fan, Micah Peters. How are you feeling, Micah? Ah, let's go! Bang it on my chest right now. I got a, I got a vein on my neck. The room smells like ozone. It's uh, um, like everything is great. Mourinho out, and Chris Ryan's team is actually the one that made the last straw. How are you feeling, Chris? Chris, live from Gridadelphia. I'm really more concerned for the staff of the Lowry Hotel. <laughs> the Lowry Hotel where Mourinho was staying for the last, what, 800 days in a luxury suite. He never bought a place in Manchester. He was in a hotel the, for The Riverside Suite, Donnie. Say the, the name. The Riverside Suite. Call it like, the Riverside it like suite. It in fact, the Daily Mail had a story that the staff of the hotel were apparently very emotional because uh, Mourinho came from the training ground to check out of the hotel and apparently he was hugging staff members. I guess they had grown attached to him over the years. So at least yeah, somebody was, was sad. Just, he was probably bleeding 20-pound notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start with you, Micah. When you woke up this morning, obviously the news happened before the West Coast was waking up. It was first thing in uh, English time. But were you surprised to hear that he was sad? Because we've been talking about Obviously, all season, it seemed like he had one foot out of the door. And the Liverpool match on Sunday was kind of the last straw. But were you surprised? I was surprised because I'd already gotten to the point of resignation, as we talked about, after the United-Liverpool match. It seemed like, I mean, the game's over. They're 11 points off of the top four. And the past two managers, post-Alex Ferguson, United has sacked them when a, ma- when a top four finish is mathematically impossible. Still, though... United is kind of big on keeping appearances, so you wouldn't expect them to fire a manager halfway through the season. I mean, like if you do that with them still headed into the Champions League knockout round, you're basically calling the season a wash, so to speak. Um, So yeah, I mean, like it was surprising, but you know, at the same time, let's just get this rebuild started. Chris, what was your reaction or immediate response to seeing that that he was sacked? I think that, uh, I mean, this was obviously due to happen. United had its, they were, what, ninth best in XG, 11th best in opponents XG, and and the, the stats were pretty eye-bleeding. I mean, worst goal difference and their in 29 worst, worst start, years. Worst start to the yeah. season since 1990. Most goals conceded at this point in the season ever, last amount, least amount of points after 17 matches in 29 years. You just can't really do a lot with those kinds of numbers. They were due for a sort of a nice run of fixtures where I think they would have had like a pretty positive Christmas. But I guess that's not really guaranteed with the way they were playing. The thing that really jumps out to me now uh, is just what a referendum this all was on Mourinho's style of play. I was trying to think about where this guy goes next. And aside from putting aside all the like burn bridges he has in various European <laughs> countries, uh, I can't think of another top European team that plays as defensively and as unimaginatively as Mourinho teams tend to play. So I'm not really sure what happens next. And it's interesting that we've arrived at this point where the sport is such an entertainment industry that you kind of have to have a, a an pretty attractive brand of football. If you want to coach at your Juve's, your Bayern's, your uh, Barca's, your Real's, Manchester teams, what have you. At the very yeah. least, there should be like consistent internal logic in your game plans. I mean, the last thing you really want to see before like a big match like Liverpool-Manchester United is or normally would be, um, it's been kind of different in recent years, but is like 10 changes to the team sheet from the game before. Right. 
Right. And I think it was ultimately, I mean, Chris, you mentioned all those stats. Those are kind of tangible reasons for him to be fired. But the intangibles, like, like the lack of philosophy or the lack of a style, those really came to fore whenever United were up against a Spurs, a City, as we saw over the weekend against Liverpool. And when faced against, I guess, their, who they intend to compete with for the top of the table, they were always outclassed. And I think that that ultimately was telling, and it's telling that he got fired after that whooping against Liverpool. Yeah, this has been a civil war. It's been going on since he pretty much got there, I think. Uh, between him and Ed Woodward, uh, you know, he doesn't seem that sorry to go. He seems, he was constantly talking about being outspent, about not getting the guys that he wanted. He wanted Alderweireld. He wanted Harry Maguire. He didn't get him. But on the other hand, he spent 400 million pounds on guys like Alexis Sanchez, who seem like they're pretty much out of, out of gas in their career. And he's got Pogba on the bench. He's jerking Baye around. He can only ever like settle on one spot for Lindelof every few games. Uh, he never figured out the defense. And, and when you, if you watch that Liverpool game, and Mike, I'm sure you'd agree with me, all, all things being equal, the thing that really jumps out at you in that Liverpool match as, is, is just how behind the times that midfield seems, that midfield of Herrera and Matic and whoever they decide to put in at the sort of creative role of, of like whether it's Lingard or whoever, it just seemed like that just that midfield was completely off the pace of the modern Premier League. I mean, yeah, it's the kind of the each week has been sort of like Mourinho just sort of rolling out of bed at the Lowry Hotel and then just kind of driving to work in a haze and just being like, all right, well, I mean, let's try this. It's that that's what it feels like every time and we're setting up against, you know, good teams, worst teams, whatever. Like over the last since Mourinho signed in 2016, out of 93 Premier League fixtures, he's got the least wins out of all the top six with 50. And it's just like they've just been doing this imitation of a big club thing for such a long time. And I think that the Mourinho is probably not the biggest of the problems. I think that it's just the the club is structurally a mess from top to bottom. Like Ed Woodward, former banker, should not be making footballing decisions. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing whether or not we actually get the director of football that's been discussed. Right, right. And, you know, it seems like for the last few months, it's been kind of like Mourinho has been basically saying to the board, fire me if you want. I mean, reportedly he was surprised at losing his job today. I guess maybe he thought it might've been a little premature, but I think he knew it was coming and he's leaving with what, up to 24 million reportedly, uh, 24 million yeah, pounds. Yeah, I think the one thing that he could have probably done is you figure that they're odds on they would have beaten Cardiff, Huddersfield, Bournemouth, and probably Newcastle, let's just say. Uh, and then that gives them, they get into the FA Cup, they have Reading in the third round, so they could have gone through there. And then they had, in a month, Tottenham, and maybe they spend a little money early in January, and they could have gotten some reinforcements or done something different. You know, there, there was some light at the end of the tunnel. I just don't know how bright that light would have been. This way, when they bring somebody in, that manager has a pretty smooth road to drive to get started before he sees Pochettino on the 13th. And for all we know, Pochettino might not be managing Tottenham on the 13th. Right, because Pochettino could be managing at Old Trafford. So let's just quickly forecast into the future for both club and manager, ex-manager Jose Mourinho. For the club, Micah, you were mentioning, or you sent me this link about how Mourinho was given a list of reasons why he was sacked with league position being only one of the reasons. You know, if you try to imagine what was on that list, like what does the new manager, and reportedly Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is uh, leading the race here to be the caretaker. Apparently the club is going to hire someone as interim manager for the rest of the season while uh, going on like a a search for a full-time manager to take over at the beginning of next season. Right. What would Solskjaer or whoever takes over, like, what is on that list of problems that Mourinho is leaving? I mean, like, the... Honestly, well, first, the, that, that same story said over 90% of the players have become fed up with Mourinho. So yeah, exactly. That's, start I mean, there. Like, I, mean I guess who's the, not on that list? Fellaini, winning McCominay? back the, the, the locker room is, you know, like, priority number one. I mean, like, priority number two is managing to get the best out of these players because... As as dearly departed Ryan O'Hanlon wrote like uh, a while ago, um, fingering this consultancy twenty first club stat about how good each player is, like above the level of replacement in terms of you know the way that the team finishes at the end of the season. 
like their Manchester United is still like their top 11 players are fifth best in the world. Like, I mean, there's player for player, as Jurgen Klopp said, like before this past weekend, like Manchester United is a good team. It's just the fact that they're collectively awful. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I mean, they're 11 points adrift of a uh, top four space, right? Top four place. Yeah. Yes. Do you think that's achievable? No. no. Making up that no. ground. No. No, so it season. is like a wash. It's like a lost season. The yeah, I mean, like I I can't. I don't think at this stage that they're going to either make a top four finish or do anything meaningful in the Champions League. I I think that the best you can hope for is finishing in a Europa League place. Which I mean, like fine, you know, at least we still have European football, and you can attract signings in the summer once you have a new manager and a director of football, and then we can just kind of turn this whole ship around. Right. So if they do name the caretaker in the next 48 hours, as if they, as the club has said, they will do. Mm-hmm. Um, Solkshire or whomever, who do you guys think they should be going after for the full-time position? Uh, just a word about the Solskjaer. The, uh, Mike Phelan and Carlos Kiraz are also like being rumored to be joining Solskjaer. Exactly. And I'm excited so like about the old that. Guard. Exactly. The old guard returning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is particularly exciting. Not so much Solskjaer, who kind of had a bad eight months at Cardiff in 2014, but and has been managing in his youth club in Norway. But I mean, like, anyway. Uh, Chris, do you think Pochettino is realistic? I mean, his name is coming up most now in headlines as the rumored guy. He was having to answer questions about it today uh, and kind of Basically poo-pooed it. I mean, he didn't rule it out, though. So He didn't rule it out. My read on that is using it as leverage. It's been a tough season for Tottenham in regards to him not being able to spend to replenish the squad the way he probably wanted to in the summer and this disaster with Wembley in terms of them not being able to really move into a new home that like they thought they would. I mean, what are we, like two, three months late on them getting back into a into their home ground? So I think that this is a leverage play if I had to like guess. I basically think that he and probably his people are letting it be known that he's not adverse to thinking about it. And that right. way it puts the pressure on Levy to go out, maybe buy one to three new players to help Tottenham solidify top four and right, make a, they can't a afford to lose run. It. They can't afford to lose it. Yeah, they can't afford to lose him. I mean, that'll be a real test of Levy's, uh, Levy's sort of stance on what he's willing to pay for, for that football club. But I mean, uh, by all accounts, by all, all the Manchester United fans I know, they are like Pochettino's the guy. And then I right. suppose Zidane is also there. The one thing that's kind of interesting with the Manchester Jardim, United Jardim, I guess, was mentioned as well. Who was? Jardim. Jardim. Yeah, Jardim. And, you know, I mean, I think that the one thing that's worth considering with this Manchester United job at this point is, like, I don't, I don't know who wants it. You know what I mean? Like, on one hand, you get to you get to coach guys like Pogba and Anthony Martial and Alexis Sanchez. You have big names. You have a lot of at least suggested talent on hand. Um, and you have some resources, but you've got not only like a huge job to do with the squad, but you are basically going to be in the eye of the media storm in England. As soon as you take that job, like feels like half the guys who were on television used to play for Manchester United. You've got probably, <laughs> you know, I was so watching the, so the Liverpool match and there were all these guys in the, you know, you had Bobby Charlton in the stands, you had Alex Ferguson in the stands, you have, Paul Scholes and uh, yeah, Gary Neville on television. Y- yeah, you've got all these people who are briefing and giving their thoughts. So it's not like you're going to be able to do your work in private. In some ways, like Klopp and even Unai Emery probably had like a little more breathing room than the next Manchester United manager is going to have. And I don't even know what success really looks like for them. I will say this, though. Don't you think it'd be easier now than it would, would have been you know, when David Moyes immediately succeeded Alex Ferguson? Now that there has been like, what, three managers in four years and some sort of, you know, kind of sustained mediocrity, at least for them, um, the person who cleans up for Jose is, you know, comparatively less pressure. Well, I mean, like, it'll probably be a lot like of the kind of job that Conte was stepping into when he took over Chelsea. I mean, like, all you really have to do in order to be and, and, considered... And won the title immediately. Exactly. All you have to do to... Really, all you have to do to be considered successful at this point is to finish better than sixth. And and then, like, you'll be moving in the right direction. I right. think you have to play well. I think you have to play... 
attractive the quote unquote Manchester they've United now screwed style. This up three times with Moyes, Van Hall, and Mourinho, where they've gotten so far away from the idea that Manchester United fans have in their head of how their team is supposed to play. They right. have to get an attacking manager. They right. do have to. Well, they have to at least. Well, they do have to get an attacking manager, but also it's just that you. Yeah, I guess I have to amend my earlier point by saying that you have to basically change the entire mentality around the club in order to playing a better, in addition to playing, to producing a better on-field product and also finishing, you know, better than whichever, like sixth place. That's why I think Zidane might be the guy because I think he's kind of a let the stars be the stars kind of manager. And also, yeah, being he definitely French, would know how Pogba to manage a guy so like important. Pogba and manage right. a guy like Martial, and know what to where to put Mkhitaryan or not Mkhitaryan, sorry, but Sanchez. I've got right. got my ex Manchester United players <laughs> confused. But you know, one name that got thrown around today a little bit was Simeone, and I, I for as much as Oof. I admire him, obviously, I kind of wonder whether that's like a younger version of Mourinho. And you got yeah. if you go in there and you're like, we're going to grind out one nothing wins, unless you go to the Champions League final on that. I don't really know whether that's something that Manchester United fans are going to respond to. And I'm not concerned trolling here. Yeah, I like. Yeah, I mean the one thing I will say about your earlier point, like keep defensive managers far away from the club. Well, I mean the one thing I would say though in Simeone's favor is that with their main United's main competition now being all kind of similar in terms of attacking, uh, counterattacking, and pressing, I mean maybe United could be the you know foil to that. Uh, Man, can you believe that we're at the point now where we're thinking like Manchester United is the Atletico Madrid of England? Like yeah. it's honestly the the <laughs> Hey Manchester's um, blue, bro. Man, <laughs> like the Wait, the narrative anyway. has changed so much in like the last six years. It's just let's 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 do some parting words here for Jose. First of all, Micah he did bring a couple trophies. You know, we talk about Klopp and Pochettino. You're talking about the still. EFL Cup and, and the Europa League. I mean, Europa League He's is not a minor trophy. He's talking about the wooden treble, dog. Yeah, he like got the I, Community Shield, too. Yeah, listen, I mean... <laughs> and like, the Community Shield. I, like, I don't care because we never got a, we never got a league last title. Season. And it was... That means that all of this sound and fury signified nothing. Like, it's... Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, though, we have to say that he didn't leave totally with a barren trophy cabinet or having achieved nothing. Do you have, like, a specific memory of Jose at Manchester United that'll stick with you? I think shushing the crowd, Juventus, is probably mine. Uh, or I've, the respect, respect. I think conference. that just in, in general, his his kind of, like, the way that he expressed, like, joy or vindication on the field after the game was over, like, all of those were things that I loved about him, the way that he managed just because he was being a complete shithead. There yeah, was I mean, as shushing. a non-United fan, yeah. that's what we're all going to miss. He makes the Premier League better, more exciting. Yeah. More, not more exciting, but more entertaining. That's what I was going to ask you about, Donnie, because you and I are probably about the same age, and we've been watching soccer around for around the same amount of time and my like mm-hmm. adult life has been pretty much like every single day I wake up and there's a new Jose Mourinho story totally. and I go through phases of when I'm bored of it and tired of the of the crap and I don't know what it would be like if I cheer for a club that had him as a manager I bet I I, I bet at various points I would have loved him but I, I can't tell whether I find it all a little bit exhausting I think it just changes so much when he stops getting results that exactly. it just seems kind of unhinged yeah. Yeah. And starts feeling a little bit more pathetic. Uh, so, Chris, yeah. what do you think is, we, uh, we touched on it earlier, or you touched on it earlier, but what do you think is next for Jose? Um, you know, as you so mentioned, here's, here's been, my thing. I've been trying to go through this. Right. I don't think that he would take another Italian job other than Inter, just because, it, you know, I know it was under different leadership at the time that he was there, but his level of affection for that specific club seemed so deep and his level of uh, animosity towards the Italian sports press seemed so deep that I can't see him going back to take AC or Juve. So let's cancel out Italy unless he were to go back to Inter. Uh, There were rumors about him going to Real Madrid today, but I (laughs) <laughs> Not with Ramos there. I can't imagine it happening with Ramos there. And so obviously he's never going to manage Barcelona. PSG seem happy enough with Tuchel. I guess we could see what happens at the end of the Champions League, which is pretty much what would define that that uh, reign for him. But that's actually the perfect place for Mourinho because he could actually loosen the reins a little bit. I don't know how he would get along with Neymar. Then you get into maybe some national team stuff. I was kind of like, 
wondering whether, I mean, he'll probably, he should probably do what Pep did, which is take a year off and, and just kind of go wander around and maybe even re- rehab his image a little bit. The cheekiest thing that I was looking at, and no disrespect to the current manager in charge there, because they're almost as good as Manchester United are on points, was Wolves. Oh. Because his, his agent, George uh, Mendez, has got a big say in what happens over at Wolves. And I think Nuno, Nuno Espirito, who's the, the current manager there, is a former and, and a friend uh, Mourinho of protege. I think he played Mourinho, goaltender. Yeah. He played keeper at um, Porto, Porto when Mourinho was there. So I think it would be really weird for him to usurp that guy. But let's say like Wolves dropped like some points over the Christmas break and whatever. I don't know. I, I have always wanted to see Jose actually manage an underdog because he Agreed. obviously sees himself as that. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, like I, I doubt with Jose's ego that he would do that, but maybe if the offers aren't coming, you know, who knows? I mean, I think ultimately for me, or at least for the rest of this season, if he doesn't manage or if he doesn't uh, get a job, I would love to see him on TV as a pundit. That would be phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah, would I mean, immediately become probably the most entertaining person on on television. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, we were just joking about this last week on last week's show about whether the uh, USMNT got tired of waiting for him. Uh, you know, I, I I think he would make a very good national team manager. I think he does a good. He has in the past really done well motivating his players, and I think also he's a he's probably still a very good tournament manager. Yeah, I mean, I think Mourinho. Um, as a one-off, you know, competition manager can still be successful. Uh, I think it's managing a room over time. I think that probably would be his downfall. Yeah, All right, that, so, and, and and working with the uh, the front office seems to be a problem. I'm kind of bummed out, Donnie, because this robs me sort of of my uh, my big upset prediction in the Champions League round of 16. Yeah, speaking of one-off tournaments, that's a great segue. The other big news this week is the Champions League round of 16 draw was announced. And so, wait, so you were referring to the PSG Manchester United tie? That was looking pretty tasty to me. Really? Because you were going to pick United. Yeah, man, come on. You know, just like see him where you think he's dead and you think he's counted out and then all of a sudden he grinds out like a... 3-2 aggregate win over I mean, PSG. I can, guarantee, like, I can guarantee you that scenario was playing out in his head as well that's when that draw was That's absolutely what he was believing, but you thought that we were going to do that against Sevilla and played to scoreless draw in the first leg and then got yeah, but PSG punched in the face is a giant. twice by Ben Yedder. But PSG puts you know, United in the underdog seat, you know, as opposed to Sevilla where United would be favored, heavily favored to win. I was just I think completely... he would just go in there. He would, he would just do all the classic shit of like getting in the, the ref's heads and just just drawing up conspiracies and talking about how like we're just the minnows here against the petrodollars. Of, of <laughs> yeah, totally, and totally. It would have just been so great to see him try and pull one over on people with that. And I think, you know, it would have been an interesting opportunity for him. I, I just would have loved to have seen him try to get Martial and Pogba in like playing like at the top of their game for him in Park the Prince. Yeah, I mean, if he weren't fired, I, I honestly think that that scenario could have happened because we've seen from this season that it's been a tale of kind of, it's like been highs and lows. And, and every time he's been like at the bottom, they'll win at Juventus or whatever. So uh, I could easily have seen that happen. Micah, of the eight round of 16 matches, which one caught your eye? You did actually write about it. You should check it out on the ringer.com. Great site. Micah wrote the winners and losers of the draw. Right. I which think- of these matchups was uh, most appealing to you? You or is most appealing to you? I, you know, I'm at a toss up between the one that you think is the most appealing, which is the Tottenham Borussia Dortmund matchup, which is sure to be the most high scoring. Hipsters delight. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I've I, I struggle to 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 divine whether that's the hipsters delight or AS Roma FC Porto is the hipsters delight. But in any How case, Ajax Real Madrid. That's dearly departed Ryan O'Hanlon's hipster delight. That's very true because he's picking Ajax. I mean, if if ever there were a year for it, it's this year. Um, but I I think that the best matchup is going to be Liverpool Bayern Munich because that's a semifinal, not a round of sixteen. I don't um, want to talk about this tie. <laughs> why don't you want to talk about this tie? By- because Munich I feel there- like I had two days of feeling very okay with this draw and being like, we got these dudes, and now I'm and now I'm scared of my own confidence. 
I honestly is there any scenario kind of there by the for way? The taking, you know, is there any scenario where Nico Kovac gets sacked in the next couple months uh, before this tie, and Mourinho takes back? over? I was no, going to say Mourinho takes over. Mourinho can never manage Bayern. First of all, they want to play attractive football. Second of all, if he thinks he's got a hard time at the front office in Manchester United, Imagine. just wait until he gets to the fucking gaggle of ghouls who sit in every Bayern Munich game and then write columns about it. <laughs> so, uh, Liverpool Bayern is is kind of like the marquee because each of them is you know their European pedigrees. Um, yeah, and it's Klopp back in Germany. That's that's just an incredible incredible scenes there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at no point do does uh, someone who supports a team that's in the Europa League feel more uh, longing than when the Champions League <laughs> knockout rounds are announced because it's like all of these matches are really enticing. I feel like even more so than in recent years uh, because yeah. of, uh, you know, like all the, all the big, all like kind of like the storylines attached to it. So also, in Western Europe, there's no Shakhtar. Yeah. Uh, there's not a Turkish team in here. You know what I mean? Like it's mostly, these are the, these are the 16 biggest clubs in, in Europe with the, with the exception of like Arsenal and a couple others. Also like the graphics are crisper. The music's better than the Europa League, you know? What do you guys think about the dark horse? Mourinho goes back to Porto, reunites with his arch nemesis, Iker Casillas, oh and then makes a Champions God. League run. Oh my God. Well, that would be like, honestly. I- Iker Casillas was just subtweeting him, like, or actually tweeting at him, I guess, like earlier or after the Liverpool match. So that'd be like. Yeah, it, there was that whole thing with David De Gea and about how he was like, Iker Casillas is orchestrating a conspiracy to like get David De Gea, like loses Spanish national team spot. I mean, like that's literally if, if, if Mourinho goes back to Porto and teams up with Iker Casillas and they make a run at the champions league title, that's literally going to be like the end of like the second Sicario movie where Benicio del Toro comes back to life and drives off. (laughs) Anything quickly on Juve Atletico? A lot of people are pointing at that too. I mean, that's just going to be an incredible match, man. I mean, like, you could literally, I I almost wish this was more like March Madness where these games were all playing out over one weekend. I just don't think I'd leave my couch. Yeah, but I I don't know. Like, Juventus Atletico has all the gloss of something that's going to be, like, amazing, but I really feel like this is going to be, like, a boring, like, like, a boring, like, 1-0 and then, like, 2-1 or two o tire. So I, I don't think that this is going to be won by more than one goal, I guess. And I think it's going to be like close and kind of boring and airless. So what did you guys make of the Europa League draw? <laughs> you guys didn't follow the Europa League draw. The round of 32 is when was announced. Two English teams here, Chelsea playing Malmo. Of course, Latin Ibrahimovic's home team. And Arsenal bait Borisov. Ale- Alexander Get your Alexander Lev reunion, right? <laughs> Yeah. Wow, total silence on that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just not the it's not the Champions League, you know? <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's talk about some other matches quickly. We had a couple EFL Cup quarterfinal, I guess Carabao Cup quarterfinals today. Uh, Manchester City beat Leicester on penalties. And Burton Albion, League One, Burton Albion beat Middlesbrough 1-0. Tomorrow, Wednesday, another North London derby, Arsenal and Tottenham as well as Chelsea Bournemouth. So, uh, this being our last episode before the new year, I guess we come back on on the 8th of January. We're heading into that holiday fixture madness. There are a ton of matches between now and then. I saw, Chris, that Liverpool's upcoming schedule is quite difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's been difficult for a while, it feels like, because we had those... We had, like, the two Chelsea matches. I mean, like, it's it's tough. I mean, this is going to be a, a real test for them especially as you can see um you know they they have lost a lot in their d- defensive line in terms for health recently yeah and actually they liverpool's holiday fixture schedule has been rated the second hardest in the premier league number one is southampton just in order it's wolves newcastle arsenal and city yikes we didn't really go too in deep about uh the liverpool united match but do you guys have any Anything to say about it other than power cube is God? 
Um, Power Cube is God. Andy Robertson is the the next Roberto Carlos, and that's my favorite <laughs> Liverpool midfield. That's my my three takeaways. Hey, Jose said afterwards he got tired just watching him run. Yeah, yeah. they did the gig press for the first twenty five minutes. They really tore their ass up, man. They they really counter pressed a lot. They've been sitting back a little bit more this year. Thirty six attempts, attempts, which is the most in the league this year. This is like the 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 United this year is like the 2013 Saints defense where they just kept giving up leagues first week after week. It's just like did you did you Micah even feel like for a second after Lingard equalized that when when that happened I was actually thinking United are somehow going to pull this out against all odds. But did that even cross your mind or were you like that was just a number? Uh, you know what aberration? happened after the after like the like Lingard scored or Lingard equalized. I mean they were kind of. For about five minutes afterward, I was just kind of like, yeah, maybe we can ruin everybody's day. And then it was just kind of like, I'm tired of this up and down, man. Like it was, it's exhausting, honestly. Chris, a lot of people were praising Fabinho afterwards. Uh, He kind of bossed the game. I saw his touch map. He was all over the place. You know, it's funny because like as an Arsenal fan, we always talk about who's the next Vieira Fabinho looks like Vieira to me. He actually looks like him because yeah, of he has how, how long, long legs, his legs right? are. Yeah. And yeah. the way he could just kind of like poke the ball off of people, but also is constantly looking forward and making kind of, you know, forward thinking passes. It's, cool. I mean, it's funny because in earlier this season, we were talking about how he wasn't even making the bench and how slow he, it seemed to be acclimating to the Premier League. But uh, this was really his coming out because he was very, very good. Yeah, I think there's a pretty high learning curve when you join Liverpool at this point. Not like I'm not even I'm not even like singing my own like my own club's praises here. But I think a it's like the athleticism that you have to get up to stuff with, and b there is a lot of like if you go, I do this. If I go, you do this. There's a lot totally. of like keying off of other players when it comes to the counter pressing. And for the mo- we saw most we part, saw with I the Ox that, last year. Yeah, we did, and and I think that there is like. They have a bunch of really interesting multifaceted midfielders, but for the most part, I don't know that you put one of them in one box and one of them in the other box. And this is that that midfield three of Ronaldum, Fabinho, and Kaido is my favorite because I felt like at any given point, any three of them could do any part of the midfield, uh, which is the best place you want to be. You want to be just a buzzsaw and overwhelming people. Um, but for the first part of the season, for me, obviously, it was just like, what planet am I on? So it's really great to see him kind of coming along. There had even been some rumors that other teams were looking at him in uh, other leagues, but uh, it's it's really cool to see how well he played on Sunday. Yeah, it's tough luck for Jordan Henderson, though. I don't know how he cracks back in. Um, yeah, but he's actually at a point now where I don't think he could play. Like, his his chronic injuries will make it so that, like, even if it was, like, Jordan Henderson as the starter, I think he'd be out in three weeks anyway. It's almost better to have him be, like, Milner Jr., who can just kind of come in and shore up a game like he did at the end of the Manchester United game. Right. So, at this point, this is what 17 matches have been played. We actually do have a title race, uh, Liverpool obviously being on top. But last year at this time, I read this in a Barney Roney piece in The Guardian, City were up 11 on United after 17 matches. I think we were talking about this at the start of the season, or at least I was, that this was poised to be the best Premier League season in years. I think I was right. We were right if we were all talking about it. Uh, As far as kind of competitiveness, both at the top, middle, and bottom of the table. Would you guys agree, Micah? Uh, I mean, yeah, especially like this... I th- I don't know I you know because I'm thinking that it might be distorted by recency bias, but this has definitely been like one of the more exciting Premier League seasons in recent memory. I mean, because so many teams were off to their best ever Premier League starts, uh, including right. Liverpool, and they're still only leading Manchester City by a point. The quality of football from City, Tottenham, Chelsea, Liverpool, and Arsenal are those five teams. It's outrageous. Like it's just, I, I really think it's like at a really, really incredibly high level. And it's, it's. I'll watch any game that those teams are playing in. Um, I have a bad feeling that Liverpool's going to lose the league in the next couple of weeks. Just looking at City's schedule too, and just kind of wondering where City could drop any amount of sustained amount of points. I mean, you got to right. believe that that's sort of the whole point. But it's just like what, looking at City's schedule. I, I'm, 
I wouldn't be scared. And they're getting, they got De Bruyne back. It just, it just feels like they're going to round into full health right when Liverpool is going to struggle a little bit with theirs. Oh, Diane, well, one would assume was... if Liverpool have the hardest or second hardest holiday fixture list, it's going to get easier, right? Towards the spring. So, but yeah, you know, but it, City... it is so competitive that if you drop points anywhere, it's, it's, you fall. So, right. Cause City goes basically next, they go Crystal Palace, Leicester, Southampton. So we kind of have a sense of what that's going to be. They get Liverpool on the third and play an FA Cup game three days later against Rotherham. Then they got Wolves, Huddersfield, Newcastle. And it's pretty, so that's pretty easy until February when they go City, Chelsea in one week. Or sorry, uh, Arsenal, Chelsea in one week. Right. That January 3rd Liverpool City match at the Etihad is... Could be a title be shaking. Yeah, yeah, man. And I hope it's better than the, their first matchup. I mean, the other thing to say, too, about the Premier League season is that, you know, the top is always going to be the top. But even the teams that are kind of, you know, on the periphery of the top six, Wolves, Everton, West Ham, Watford, Bournemouth, they all play decent football as well. So it makes it overall kind of a more enjoyable product, I think. And uh, Yeah, because you can get a Southampton Arsenal game. You can. And like teams aren't just going to like put 11 men behind the ball. Uh, those types of teams, when they're playing against the big boys, they, it, they're they actually going toe-to-toe. So, um, yeah. And you saw it with the Alpine Klopp. Hassan Huddle? Hassan Huddle, yeah. And right now, I don't think we have like too many... There's not an, I don't really think we have like an Allardyce or a Pulis team right now. Right. You're right, Donnie. Totally. Like it, I Hughes, think that, Hughes is gone as well now. So it's like, if they're going to yeah, hire somebody, like for the they want part, a philosophy. With the exception of, of Burnley. Uh, yeah. Please Burnley. Go down Burnley. Like, you know, Newcastle can be cagey. Um, Brighton's not exactly like the most sumptuous football I've ever seen, but they, they do what they do. <laughs> like right. Leicester is a good counter attacking team, just like always. Uh, but even the, even the really bad teams, I guess Cardiff, we're just kind of waiting for Warnock to go, but you know, it, with the exception of Cardiff, I don't think that there's a shit house team in the league. Yeah. Well, also coming up is obviously the month of January and that's a transfer window. Uh, let's just go team by team for who you guys support and your ins and out wish list. We'll start with you, Chris. Do you even need anybody at this point? Maybe a backup? at left back or yeah I mean I the know. defensive line is, is now kind of under siege we could use a fullback probably and it depends on your your mileage may vary on Sturridge uh, whether or not like they could use one attacker off the bench to go along with Shakiri to give that Salah, Mane, Firmino line a little bit of a break is Ox coming back at all this season? no no and I saw that so, Van Dyke I mean, like, is Klopp out. Shot that down. I mean, Klopp, Klopp is pretty pretty down on that idea. I, I saw that Van Dyke through yellow cards. I believe is out for the first leg against Bayern Munich. So that could be worrisome. Yeah, definitely. It, it definitely is. It's one of those things you don't think about when you're when you're like, we got Bayern Munich. We can knock those dudes out. <laughs> <laughs> Micah. What's your transfer Xmas, I guess, January wish list? Well, I mean, like, I would like an entire new back line, just like I wanted last Christmas. Um, <laughs> Lindelof is not, hasn't been playing poorly. In fact, he caught my eye a little bit against Liverpool in that he wasn't bad. Yeah, but I mean, like, that's all the, that's the best that you can say about any any defender that United puts on the field is that he isn't that bad. I mean, like, and it's just that it just seems as though it's, a only a matter of time before some mistake kind of drags them back down or there's an injury like Chris Smalling who just signed a, a four-year extension at the age of 29 and got injured during warm-ups and had to be replaced. <laughs> um, I mean, like, sure, I would like a center back. Kaladu uh, Koulibaly from Napoli has been, you know, like going around the rumor mill who knows whether or not I mean, like we reportedly have reportedly valued at ninety million. Yeah, it, it is. It's a lot of money, but any anything for some stability at the back, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I talked to our colleague Miles Surrey, who's a Chelsea fan. And he said he wanted to see out Victor Moses, Danny Drinkwater, Gary Cahill in Christian Pulisic, Timo Werner, Piontek, the Polish from uh, Polish guy from Genoa. Icardi and Alexandro. So it looks like he was playing FIFA. <laughs> I would. I would also like a reindeer. To be fair, I said, "What's your wish?" I said, "What's your wish list?" So I think he just took that very literally. That's a really good wish list. <laughs> it's a great yeah. wish list. 
<laughs> Let me get all this dead dreck off my books <laughs> and sign the Bundesliga All-Star team. <laughs> uh, for me, for the Arsenal, we keep hearing rumors about this guy, Nicolas Pepe from Lille. I don't know if you guys have been following him at all. He's got 12 goals so far this year. I just saw his highlight reel from the last game and boy, is he fast and good. So, and actually, I mean, I guess, you know, we have Iwobi and Mkhitaryan right now playing nominal wingers, I guess, but I think Pepe would walk into the lineup. So, uh, we also need defensive help. I'll actually take Gary Cahill from Chelsea. Why not? I actually also saw that Pepe, his contract was terminated at Bestica, so we could get him. He's kind of old. Um, ben Chilwell from Leicester. He's going to cost a lot. You might want to also want? get some lifts for uh, Burn Leno's shoes. Just give him like <laughs> oh another God. inch. Burn uh, Leno was making me pull out the hair I don't have against Southampton. Jesus. Although, dude, to be fair. Amazing. That that cross where like Charlie Austin is just like <laughs> sailing through the air and Leno is at like full extension. Incredible. <laughs> like, to be oh, fair, no, Koscielny yeah, like was like. Five foot eight German. To be fair, like, you know, like the first couple goals, nobody was marking anybody. So I think Leno was like, I have to take this into my own hands. But yeah, it looked bad. Who do you think I want out of the Arsenal? I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark and save Mesodozo. <laughs> I think Mesit to enter should happen. I think it'd be good for both both parties. All right, moving on. Let's quickly talk about the most useless competition in the, in the world, the Club World Cup. Chris, it, it struck me uh, this week that when I was looking at the Club World Cup that it's a silver lining to Liverpool not defeating Real Madrid last May because had they won, they would be in this useless competition. Aren't you glad that they're not in Abu Dhabi right now playing uh, Kashima Antlers? I think if we had won the Champions League, that might have uh, <laughs> been, been a little bit of a nice come down from having to go play in Abu Dhabi right now. But yeah, <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying. The hosts of this tournament, Al Ain, actually stunned Copa Libertadores champion River Plate today on penalties. I think it was on penalties. Uh, and tomorrow, Kashima Antlers plays Real Madrid, uh, the same Kashima Antlers who lost to Real Madrid two years ago in extra time in this same tournament. So uh, Real Madrid is looking for a three-peat. So yeah, the Club World Cup. Is that the most useless tournament? <laughs> is that more useless than the so. Carabao yeah. Cup? Yes. I think so. Carabao <laughs> Cup, at least you get to see like young players play. Like yeah. you at least get to see that. I, I used to really love those those Arsenal Carabao or like the League Cup teams where it would just be like, it's Henry Lansbury's time now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, conceivably, like if Liverpool were in, I mean, because the only English team to win this tournament is Manchester United. And I went back and looked at that final. I think it was 2011. Um, they played Ronaldo, Rooney. You know, they, they, had, they played like a full strength team. So if Liverpool were in it, would Klopp play a full strength team? I mean, maybe we're just... I think it's like actually a pretty big deal for your your team's global profile. Yeah. And I, I, from my my very basic understanding, it is it is something that gets watched a lot in like South America and Asia. So when you're trying to build your team up as like a global brand, it helps to be in it, and it certainly helps to win it. Also, but, beggars you know, can't I don't be choosers when it comes to trophies. Back to this magical, right? If Liverpool was in it, would they be in a <laughs> shitty situation? Idea. <laughs> if Arsenal was in it, Donnie, do you think that Mesut Ozil would start? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just banter, bro. And speaking of kind of meaningless competitions, also I should say that the Asian Cup—that's not meaningless. That's mean. It's a—it's a cup. The Asian Cup begins also in the United Arab Emirates beginning on January 5th. Guess who's the defending champ without looking at the sheet? Anybody know? Or have you already seen it? I haven't. I haven't. So guess who's the defending champ? This is a quadrennial. It's every four years. Is it an Australian team? So it is Australia. It was Australia. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, like this, this cup does have some ramifications for... Uh, club football because for example Tottenham Tottenham Sonung Min is going to be missing some games this month he's not he's actually I, I read that he's not going to be there for all of the Asian Cup there was that they struck some deal between club and nation so that he could stay with Spurs uh, a few weeks longer but he is going to be going to Abu Dhabi later this month uh, some other guys around world football too also uh, interestingly the African Cup of Nations which uh, traditionally happens in January is 
been moved to the summer. So that's good for Mo Salah and uh, Liverpool and any other team that has African players. Oh, yeah, totally. On that note, Chris, thank you for joining us. Happy holidays. Enjoy Philly. Good luck to Liverpool. Happy holidays, guys. Thanks, for, as always. We'll take a quick break here and come back with some news hits and some year-end stuff. And we're back. It's just me and Micah now. Micah, it's just me and you, bro. It's just me and you. I thought you were going to break go? out in the song for a second there. I'm kind of disappointed. <laughs> I just rounded up a bunch of news hits. I'm just going to read them. and You can react. Ready? All right, let's go. <clears throat> All right. Club America won the Liga MX Apertura over Cruz Azul. Micah, do you think, gun to head, you could explain how the Mexican leagues work? Honestly, no, but I, and I should be better at this because I have several friends that are very involved or very take or very like invested in any one league NX team. Uh, can that, can no. that be some homework for you for the new year? Because sure, like, that can absolutely, I mean, like, I'm down to, I'm always trying to, you know, me broadening my horizons and shit. I mean, I know it's a Google search away, but still, I mean, it's like there's two leagues separated in the middle of the season and. Anyway, uh, Club America, their 18-year-old winger, Diego Lanez, apparently headed to Ajax to join Dijon, Dion, sorry, and company. Well, he might not be joining Dion because Dion is rumored to be moving to PSG for 75 mil. Right, so he might be replacing Dion. I guess, I guess uh, Lanez is a winger and Dion plays in the back. But you might remember Diego Lanez as the guy that Matt Miazga, USMNT's Matt Miazga, mocked for being too short. You guys remember that? Michael, you remember that? Oh, I absolutely remember that. And I, th- I think that I still have people coming after me on Twitter about it. Yeah, because joke's on you, Miazga. Where are you at? <laughs> Where is he at? Non Nancy? No. Lil? No, not Lil. He's in France somewhere, right? On loan from uh, Chelsea? He's, yeah, he's in France at, at, uh, at Nantes for, on loan Nantes. from Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think he'll ever play a game for Chelsea? <laughs> I mean, like, that's as... That is not even a remotely knowable thing, being in the Chelsea loan system. <laughs> <laughs> in other news, MLS news, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is staying at the LA Galaxy. Rumored He was rumored to be going to AC Milan and a host of other clubs, but he announced in typical Zlatan fashion via a video on Twitter. I am not done I'm not, with I'm you not yet. Done. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, yeah. Are you excited about that? I mean, sure. I'm, I'm like absolutely all in on kind of like, I just, I, I love Zlatan just being the best thing about the galaxy and yeah. just scoring at a ridiculous clip and just doing yeah. ridiculous things that he, you know, I guess couldn't exactly try in the Premier League, although he did score you know what? That's not entirely true. He did score some ridiculous goals his last season, his fuck you season in England. So Yeah, true. Under Mourinho. Um, it's at least, the very least, the El Trafico will remain. I mean, I guess even without Zlatan, it's still cool, but um, it adds like a little bit of spice to it. The bigger news around Major League Soccer is that just yesterday they announced a whole total overhaul of their playoff system. Uh, a lot of changes. Essentially, the takeaway is they're going from and basically from two-legged playoffs to single elimination, which I saw online was being greeted. I guess some people were happy. Some people thought it was a bad change. Uh, the other main change is that they're going from 12 teams to 14 teams, which sounds like a lot, but they're also expanding over the next few years, so that might be less significant. And no playoff reseedings so reseedings so it's going to be like a set bracket like march madness and also like march madness they're going to have a bunch of games on the same day um and so instead of the mls cup or mls playoffs dragging on month after month i mean the, and having a final in the third second week of december it's going to start on october 19th or something and end on november 10th they're condensing it a little bit basically they're just making it shorter is making it more kind of life or death life or death home home field advantage is going to be a bigger uh factor so that kind of puts more weight on the regular season i'm describing this in a terrible way sorry soccer don garber but essentially i i just reading it and not being a huge mls guy it makes me feel like i'll be more interested 
in watching a bunch of life or death matches. What say you, Micah? Jesus, no, that was, I mean, that was, I mean, single elimination playoff is, I guess, foreign in most major soccer competitions that you would normally watch. But I mean, at the same time, it was exciting to watch people like sprint from the inline to half field to recover the football in the XFL. So, I mean, single elimination playoff games uh, sound as good as anything Are else to me. Are you comparing XFL to MLS? No. Such disrespect. Uh, I'm not actually comparing the XFL to the MLS. I'm just saying that it's exciting. And also, it kind of plays up on the really budding and very, like... I don't even know how to describe it. The fan atmosphere at like home games in Atlanta, in Portland, in here in Los Angeles yeah. is insane. And yeah. so I'm not I'm not even convinced that you know a tie played over two legs would reveal the better team any more than a, than a one-off, you know? I mean, the World Cup is a one-off, right? Well, past a certain point, yeah. I mean, like, yes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like the the argument for in favor of a two legged tie is that the better team will always, or not always, but it's like a better way to determine who's a better team if you get a chance to play one once at home and once away. And I think the people that are opposed to like the single elimination is 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 because soccer is so random. Were to our dearly departed Ryan O'Hanlon, that you know you could get a Greece situation. But what's so bad about that? What's so bad about that? I think that that's a yeah. good place, a good place to leave that one. Yeah, yeah. Let's leave it there. All right, moving on. Uh, we talked about Ajax a lot today, or we mentioned their name a lot. Uh, one of their players won the Golden Boy Award, which is given to the best European player under 21. The first defender to ever win it, it's Matthias Delight. Is it Delight? Delight. Terrible with the names. It's Delight. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold of Liverpool, another defender, came in second. Uh, past winners of this award include Mbappe, <laughs> Renato Sanchez, worked <laughs> Ryan O'Hanlon, Anthony Martial, Raheem Sterling, Paul Pogba, of course, Lionel Messi. Two of the last five winners are on the bench for Manchester United, or have been on the bench. <laughs> it's kind of depressing, right? I mean, you know, at least uh, Dillard is in reasonably good company. Uh, I mean, like, I Renato Sanchez here. has kind of recently turned it around, sort of, in a small sort of. way. He's, he's up and down. <laughs> All right, BBC African Footballer of the Year was announced. Who do you think it was? Uh, so, I mean, like, I'm going to think, I think that that's probably Mohamed Salah. I think I'm pretty safe in assuming that. Correct. The 26-year-old Liverpool striker beat out. Okay, here's some name pronunciations. Mehdi Benatia of... Mehdi Benatia. Benatia, the Moroccan. Khalidou Koulibaly, aforementioned from Napoli. Sadio Mane, Salah's teammate. Thomas Partey. All right, moving on, quick news hits. The Spanish newspaper AS is reporting that there's been a 65 million euro bid from unnamed Chinese club for Malcolm. Remember Malcolm on Barcelona? And then the whole controversy controversy over Malcolm going to Roma. Yeah. He was at, he was at Bordeaux last season and he was going to go to Roma and then Barcelona swooped in. Yeah. I don't know why they swooped in because they never they play him. Never and play. So, I mean, like he actually got some minutes against Tottenham in the in in the Champions League group match that didn't matter. Uh, but <laughs> right. yeah, I'd like sure, whatever. <laughs> Speaking of Barcelona, we have a Lionel Messi update, <laughs> or at least a check-in. He now has the most goals, most assists, and most key passes per ninety, most free kicks, most dribbles, and the second most shots per game this season for the top five European leagues. So, breaking news, Messi's still great, even though he finished fifth in the Ballon d'Or voting. Yeah, like, it is Messi-Ronaldo fatigue as part of the reason that Modric won the, won the award. Yeah, and I saw Messi also won the Golden Shoe to add to his trophy cabinet. Uh, most goals, I guess, in the calendar year, I guess that's what it's for. So, Lionel Messi's still great. It reminds me of what Alexander Ovechkin of my beloved Washington Capitals is doing in the NHL, which is basically sustain excellence year after year after year after year. So, yeah. Did you see that Raheem Sterling, we talked about this last episode, got a Nike style, I mean, I'm sorry, a Colin Kaepernick style ad for Nike, like a billboard on it. It says, quote, speaking up doesn't make life easier, but easy never changed anything. I mean, big energy. Like, I, I, <laughs> What do you I love feel about Nike that... kind of co-opting these sort of like... Uh, 
topics and these sort of figures? Uh, I feel like it's an extremely thing that happens during late in in late capitalism. Uh, so I mean, like nothing ac- actually stays pure. So I think that I'm just more <laughs> I, I'm just happier that Raheem Sterling has, I mean, like changed his changed the thought of his like his own narrative, um, right? Which is I mean, like amazing. Uh, and also yeah, scored like a goal I, over the weekend. He also scored a goal over the weekend, but I was excited to see the ad, regardless of, you know, like my, you know, but, you know, you feel a little queasy about it, but at the same time, it's still a, a, an amazing thing. Yeah. All right. So let's transition here to a little bit of year, year end stuff. Well, first of all, we had everyone should listen to Alan Shearer and Micah, Micah interviewing Alan Shearer on our last episode. I saw someone on Twitter say, he enjoyed the interview and he wanted you to interview Patrice Evra. I would which, absolutely love to interview Patrice Evra. I would. I'll add us Patrice. I, I mean, I guess we got to reach out to him. Yeah. <laughs> but who is you, who would be your dream interview guest? Let's put it out in the universe for next year for Ringer FC and we'll see if it can happen. Eric Cantona. <laughs> 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 I like it. I like it. I want to get Jose on. Wow. Got free time. Imagine. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. All right, let's just do a quick year in review. I actually didn't really prepare too much for this, but kind of just go off top. Since this is our last episode of 2018, best game, best goal, best moment. I mean, obviously this is a World Cup year, so I would imagine everything will be coming from the tournament in June. But what say you, Micah? Want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Go first. I think I said this in the World Cup review episode, but my best match of the year was the Belgium-Japan quarterfinal. Just the whole match, watching it, remembering watching it, it was the Japan jumping out to that shocking 2-0 lead. Belgium fighting back in the second half, equalizing off of Fellaini's head, your favorite player, Micah. And then the goal at the death, a moment I'll never forget. Uh, the Lukaku run and dummy, the Nasser Chadley finish. The dejected, the look of total devastation on all the Japanese players' faces. Just an amazing match. Two other quick World Cup matches, though. I would say Korea, despite not advancing out of the group stage, when they beat Germany, uh, relegating Germany to last place in the group, um, that was an amazing moment. Of course, I didn't yet eat the cleat uh, based on Germany not advancing to the knockout round, and that's still something that's on my to-do list, possibly for 2019. Wow. And also wow. Croatia Croatia beating England kind of because I just didn't want England to advance. That was a semifinal. Um, the way they did it, Manzukic goal. Um, it was a really exciting match. Well, I guess it wasn't really exciting, but it was really dramatic the way the match started, I guess with the Kieran Tripper, Trippier free kick and Croatia scoring late and then an extra time. Uh, I really kind of, the Croatia team really kind of was endearing to me or drew me in, just their never-say-die spirit. And I really wanted them to beat France. Unfortunately, they didn't. Uh, So those three games stand out the most in my mind. And just for recency bias, the most recent North London derby, I would say, was one of the best games of the last five years for the Arsenal. Um, Yeah, the, the, actually, that North London derby was one of the, that was a very, entertaining and rewarding viewing experience, especially the the Lucas Torreira goal. Uh, I mean, him just kind of ripping his shirt. Yeah, that was great. I think still I'm going to go with the game uh, that I chose at our World Cup review episode, which is Spain-Portugal. Just because, I mean, like you got everything from the nacho half volley that Mm. went in just to the inside of the post and then basically at full time with the last kick, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo on the same day that he was found guilty of tax evasion and owes the the Spanish government $17 million, scores a free kick and ties it at three at, at full time. I mean, that was insane. Yeah. Also, a sleeper match was, uh, I'm just thinking of it now. I mean, we're basically just going to name every World Cup match, but the France-Argentina match was pretty dope. Really just because of the Mbappe goal. Like, that, that was honestly... It, 
Uh, Brian about Phillips, the Benjamin Pavard goal? The Benjamin Pavard goal was also amazing. How about the Di Maria goal? There was the, a lot of great but goals. The Mbappe goal is the one that you most remember for that game because Pavard's half volley was was sumptuous, but like it was exactly like Nacho's half volley. Mbappe basically, <sighs> Brian Phillips has wrote about this in our in our top sports moments of the year. He he also wrote about it for the New Yorker during the World Cup, but it was just kind of like. Whoa! Uh, there can be superstars like global superstars after Messi and Ronaldo. This might be it. Yeah, you know when Bill Simmons is talking about it, that the casual fan is locked in because Bill was like, "Who's this Mbappe?" Yeah. Um. But uh, the best goal, I still ride for that Victor Wanyama f- like half volley against Liverpool in January of la- or February of last year. Wow! Because it was honestly. And I'm I'm saying this purely because of my reaction to it. I literally had to run out of my house to get away from it. It was that yeah. it was that the crazy. Probably still traveling yeah, somewhere. Exactly. Um, but Daniel Sturge uh, equalizing against Chelsea. I'm just now noticing that both of my goals are like from super subs because Wanyama was subbed on. I think like in the 73rd minute and scored that goal in the 75th. And Sturge came on in the 85th against Chelsea. In I think it was the Carling Cup. I can't exactly remember. It was earlier this season, but no, that was in the league, wasn't it? It was no, because they played they played a cup tie in midweek, and I remember they played again. Oh, that's right. In they the played twice in a week. That's yeah. Right. But he kind of just Daniel Sturridge back from injury, first like real f- foray back into the first team. Like just received the ball across his body, shaped it up, and stuck it in the far corner at the top, and and it was just like. You couldn't say that he didn't mean to do it. I'm actually tick stealing your thunder or stealing your entry and saying the Torreira goal will be my favorite goal. Again, that's recency bias because it was like two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. But I did watch it like 12 to 14 times. All right. Let's look forward quickly to 2019. Uh, What we are most looking forward to or and or bold predictions so another World Cup year, Women's World Cup coming in June in France. The top three teams going in FIFA rankings, USA number one, Germany number two, and the host France number three. That's going to be exciting, right? It's going to be the US, I'm... Yeah, I mean, like any international tournament is dope, but uh, I think the Women's World Cup has consistently been very excellent. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, like it's, I am... Like I, you know, honestly, I want to go. <laughs> you <laughs> if should. I'm be, if I'm being 100 percent real, um, you should. Yeah. Um, but what else about 2019? You're also going to leave the halcyon days of Puma behind you for your the club that you support. Yeah, I mean that's like a minor thing, but I'm really looking forward to Arsenal's and en- ending their Puma contract. Their deal ends at the end of, <clears throat> excuse me, this year or this next season. I-, I should say the end of this season. So starting from the 2019-2020 season, Arsenal will be an Adidas team. I don't love honestly all of Adidas's kits. Uh, it's kind of hit or miss. I actually always have preferred Nike. Uh, word to Colin Kaepernick, but I think. It's Adidas will be an upgrade over Puma. I don't think all of the Puma kits have been bad. People slate them a lot. I don't think they've been all bad. Uh, but I think I'm really curious. I mean, you know, Arsenal were an Adidas team way back in the day. So I'm curious to see. But you're over the era of the nipple chafe, basically. <laughs> I mean, some of the Adidas shirts are kind of nipple chafing too. Nipple chafing too. But I want to see those like, you know, crazy blue and yellow strips again. And, you know. For sure. Do you have any bold predictions for either the beginning of 2019 or the middle or the end? I've said at the beginning of the season that Liverpool were going to win the league. I still stand by that. I think that despite, I think that like that Chris, you know, being kind of worried that Liverpool is going to piss it away uh, in the next coming weeks here is not completely unfounded, but I, I, I'm, I think I'm with you. I think that they can win it this year. Yeah. Or at least I want to believe that they can win it this year. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it's just kind of like, you know, like City is the Death Star at this point. Yeah. All right. So final prediction for me for the Arsenal currently sit fifth place. They have basically, you know, no center backs right now. But 
I still predict that they're going to finish top four as I did beginning of the season. Uh, Micah, for you, United, as we mentioned, 11 points out of the top four. Uh, they're in sixth place. Where do you think they end the season? Or is it dependent on who takes over? Uh, I think that it's, pr- it, you know, it very well could be. I can't say that the, the who is who takes over has n- no bearing on what happens, but I guess before this news broke this morning, I was going to say that they were going to finish eighth. <laughs> and I think that now that it met, might improve to seventh. <laughs> wow, so pessimistic. Yeah. Do you have do you have a prediction for United PSG? Um, I think that I honestly think that PSG wins that tie five two over two legs. So Micah is predicting doom and gloom to continue for Manchester United. I think that yeah, I, I am predicting doom and gloom, but only so that I can be surprised. That's right. That's the right, idea. Lowered expectations. Yeah. If you don't. If you don't hope for anything, then you don't get disappointed. Right, 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 right. On that note, Micah, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas yourself. Happy New Year. We'll be back to talk about what's happening in the Premier League on January 8th, which is a lot of stuff is going to change by then. So until then, happy holidays, everyone. Peace. Peace.